welcome to the worship service at the Seventh-day Adventist Church in Hayward, California, a multicultural church in the San Francisco East Bay that worships on the Seventh-day Sabbath, Saturday. The ministry of the Word by Pastor Paul Penno is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to forgive sin and save from sin by his cross and ministry as priest in the heavenly sanctuary, the third angel's message in verity. Join us now as the service is in progress. Is there hope for healing of a broken heart? Last Sabbath, Art Nobri came up to me before he left the social hall, and he said, Sassy died. You know, Sassy is his little dog, 17 years old, had a massive heart attack. Well, you say it was just a dog. How many of you have had a pet? It leaves you brokenhearted, doesn't it? When they die, have to say goodbye. An old friend, someone, some animal that has made life more hospitable and homey for you. Is there hope for healing a broken heart? Maybe someone has broken your heart. Maybe you've been caught off guard by a betrayal, a shocking behavior, or someone who is a very close loved one, a loss of a loved one. And suddenly you feel like you're all alone and you've lost all hope. And you feel a very deep, aching pain in your heart. It just leaves you wounded and scarred. Have you ever experienced what it's like to be brokenhearted? Do you know the pain and the anguish inside? People usually experience a broken heart when they lose a loved one or when a relationship breaks down, such as parents divorcing or a girlfriend or boyfriend breaking up. I think that divorce, going through divorce, is like going through the death of a loved one. And it's worse of all upon the children who have loyalties to both parents, and yet they've lost their sense of security. Is there hope for healing a broken heart? Once there was a young man who proclaimed to have the most beautiful, flawless heart. An old man challenged him, and the crowd looked at the old man's heart. It was beating strong, but it was full of scars. Some pieces had been removed and others had been put in, and, but didn't fit quite right. And the old man looked at the young man. I would never trade my heart for yours, he said. Every scar represents a person I've given my love to. And I tear out a piece and give it to them. And sometimes they give me a piece of their broken heart, which I fit along the jagged edges And when the person doesn't return my love, a a painful gouge is left. And those gouges stay open, reminding me that I love these people too. Perhaps someday they will return and fill that space. Each one of us has a particular level at which our emotions overflow, and we cry out from a broken heart, God, help me, help me. And we may have just received the disappointing news of a medical test or some devastating news from a family member, and our emotions are a mess. We have a broken heart. We don't know if we're angry, panicked, scarred, scared, fearful of the future, 
We do not know that we could even continue on in our own strength. Reminds me of times really haven't changed from ancient times to modern times. Most people expect when you greet them that you should have on your happy face, right? The same way back in the old ancient times at that heathen and pagan court of the ancient Persians, if you appeared sad, if you had a frown on your face, you could be thrown into the jail because you were required to keep a smile on your face, even if it was a frozen smile. Keep it on your face continually. Obviously, they had a lot of entertainment in the royal court to keep the jokes flowing, you know, and the uh, monarch happy. The Bible tells us one time about Nehemiah, who was serving in the presence of the king, and he was afraid because he was too honest to try to wipe the frozen smile off of his face because he was brokenhearted. And he was brokenhearted for the honor of God. It involved the ruin of Jerusalem. He was thinking of the devastation of Jerusalem and the people scattered. And his heart was broken. I can tell you this morning that God loves honesty, even if it means that a broken heart must express itself. We read in Psalm 34, verse 18, these words, The Lord is nigh unto them, that are of a broken heart, and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. Now that sounds really strange in the year 2010, doesn't it? Because we suppose that God is very nigh unto the smiling people, to the happy people. And if you're not singing for joy, there must be something wrong with your friendship with Jesus. Many assume that it's virtually a sin to be brokenhearted. But we are assured in Psalm 51 and verse 17 of the Lord's special favor to the brokenhearted. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise. Was Jesus ever brokenhearted? Not in the sense that he yielded to sinful unbelief, no, no, but we read that he took upon his happy heart our brokenheartedness. For example, we read in Psalm 53 that he was despised and rejected of men. You don't feel that Jesus felt that? It hurt him to be despised and rejected of men. It touched his heart. It broke his heart. He was, we are told in Isaiah 53, 3, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. You can't talk about having a friendship with Jesus without relating to that aspect of his character. Jesus experienced a broken heart. And the closer you come to him, the more you will appreciate that truth. And because he was very sorrowful on his cross, we read that the human race despised him. In Isaiah 53, verse 4, it says, We did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. We, we always wanted a smiling Messiah. We didn't want a brokenhearted Messiah. How about his great heart of love today? Does he sympathize with all of the sorrowing all of the pain-ridden people upon this earth, 
Yes, he does. He longs to put an end to sin. He longs to put an end to sorrow that it brings. And the closer that we come to Jesus, the more we will share his concern and want to see sin ended too and sorrow. Our brokenness should draw us ever more closer to the broken one so that our desires to see all of this source of it ended as he does. Now, here's a shocker for you. The closer you come to Jesus Christ, the bigger you will realize your problem of brokenheartedness to be. The closer you come to Jesus, the more broken you will become. Come very close to him, and you will taste the depths of the darkness that he experienced on his cross when he cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Yes, if one has never grown out of being an innocent child, he may never think or feel on that level, but Jesus did. Why doesn't God do something? Why is the heart cry of the person who dares to think not only about his own little problems, but the pain of the world, the pain that Jesus bears of the world? He sees and he feels it all. When Jesus was on the cross on Calvary in that total darkness, while he hung there in that deepest perplexity and despair, he made a choice. Jesus made a choice to believe that his Father was good, even though everything was shouting in his ears that his Father was unjust. Jesus made a choice to believe that his Father was good. In total darkness, in the vastness of empty, broken space, Jesus built a bridge between alienated humanity and God. It's what we call the atonement, the atonement at one with. And if his father has forsaken him, Jesus will not forsake his father. On his cross, Jesus built something out of nothing, just like he had when he created this world this universe out of nothing. At any cost, he will believe the good news about his Father. He will create good news. You don't have to build a bridge like that in your brokenheartedness. All you have to do is, well, all you have to do is believe that he built the atonement for you. He did the hard work. So have you been hurt? Have you been lied to? Do you feel like there is no one that you can trust? Have those you loved and trusted abused you and laughed at you? Then look to Jesus. He is the divine psychiatrist. He's listening. He's listening 24 hours, 7 days a week. Tell him what is troubling you. He'll take your burden. He loves you with an everlasting love that exceeds your wildest imagination. That ex- Jesus will never leave you stranded on the roadside, kicking you out on the highway and say, okay, you walk home. I'm so mad at you. 
Jesus will never leave you when all of their chips have been spent. Never. He's always there. And if you'll let him, he'll pick up the broken pieces of your life and he will rearrange them and he will put them in perfect order. All you have to do is to recognize your need and believe he is able. He is able. And there is no greater joy or peace than falling into the arms of our Redeemer. To the devil-possessed, Jesus said, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. To the woman that was tormented 18 years, he said, daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith hath made you well. Go in peace. To all of us, Jesus says, these things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Is there healing for painful childhood memories? Is there healing for abused women? Yes, for abused men. Yes, the Lord has a desire to free you from the painful burden of those memories. But to make you a mental zombie with no memory of those painful memories and no susceptibility to pain, that wouldn't really do your personality any good, would it? Happiness is not some kind of a mindless, vacuous euphoria. Happiness, a grand piano makes beautiful music because its strings are under constant tension. And the Lord does not propose to remove your memory tensions, but to give you strength from Christ to bear them in such a way that your life makes music by triumphing over the pain. He may permit you to carry painful memories for the purpose of enabling you to be able to comfort others and to sympathize with them. Think of the painful memories of Christ must carry from the sufferings of the cross. You don't think that Jesus bears the painful memories of his his cross to this day? He does. He remembers it. The cruel rejection, the heartless scourgings, the ridicule, the mocking, the abuse, the pain, the horror of the great darkness, the guilt that he felt as he was made to be sin for us who knew no sin. You think he forgets all that? No. He remembers it, but he triumphs over it. And so he can give help to others. He can give help to you. Hold your head high. For you are a partaker of Christ in his sufferings. Rejoice that you're in his school with him. Accept the comfort for you. Desire of Ages, page 225, says, Of all of the gifts that heaven can bestow upon men and women, fellowship with Christ in his sufferings is the most weighty trust and the highest honor. How can you give something so deeply ingrained into your psyche to him? Well, as your high priest, because 
You know, a high priest simply means that Jesus is your divine psychiatrist, okay? That's what it means. A high priest is a divine psychiatrist. And you, you know, you could go to an ordinary psychologist or psychiatrist, and how much would you pay an hour? I don't know what the going rate is today. Probably over $100 an hour. And he would listen to you as you would describe in words all of your fears and all of your horrors and all of your resentments and bitterness. And that kind of therapy could run for weeks and months, couldn't it? And he has a vested interest in keeping you coming back. But Jesus, the divine psychiatrist, doesn't charge you one cent. And he does a better job at it. And on your knees, you can put into words those memories that you have and those fears. You can learn from fellow sufferers like Job in the Bible and like David and like Jeremiah. You can learn with them how to pray. And out with everything, you can come before him, before the throne of grace. But guard against the tendencies to constantly lay the burdens on others because they can't endure them. Unload all of the evil onto the divine sin-bearer, will you? Just put it all out there on the table to him. I guarantee that he will listen. He will respond to you. He will give you peace of heart. But with it, he will give something vastly more precious. He'll give you compassion, understanding of love, of how to comfort other people. Someone who loves you more than life itself is waiting for you with open arms. Do you know your psychiatrist? Do you know him? Well, you say, I don't need a psychiatrist. I'm okay. I'm not sick. Only a sick, crazy people need a psychiatrist. You're insulting me, suggesting that I need a psychiatrist. Well, David, the psalmist... The king needed a psychiatrist, and his psalm was full of appeals for healing. I read this in Psalm 6. He says, Lord, don't be angry and and rebuke me. I'm worn out, O Lord. Have pity on me. I'm completely exhausted, and my whole being is deeply troubled. It sounds like a guy who needed a psychiatrist. In Psalm 22, 14, and 15, he says, My heart is like melted wax. I'm left for dead in the dust, he says. In in modern English, we would say that his mind is coming unglued. He felt himself abandoned in a black hole for all eternity. And anyone who feels that way needs a psychiatrist, but not just any ordinary one. And if you are a normal human being you have very likely known what that feeling is. Or at least you have tasted it some. Only a mindless person without any intelligence or feeling has escaped those kinds of feelings. I think of the woman who rode home from the hospital in a neighbor's car, and she was chattering just incessantly, exhibiting all of her paranoia, by saying, watch out, there's a car up there. I, I don't think it's going to stop. We're going to crunch them in the rear end. And, or, I'm not used to riding in cars, but don't worry. I, I'm not going to jump out on you. 
And the closer they got home, the more anxious she became. And then she started crying softly, saying, My husband, he hasn't called me in three days since I've been in the hospital. I know he's left me for his ex-wife. He's done that on me before. And as the tears streamed down her cheeks, rocking back and forth on the seat of the car, she moaned, I just know he's dead, all kinds of weird stuff. She needed a psychiatrist. This husband of mine, you don't know, he's tried to kill himself six times. He drinks himself stupid when I'm in the hospital. No one has seen him in several days. I just know he's dead. He's not going to be there when I get home. She needed a psychiatrist. The best definition of the term high priest that appears throughout the book of Hebrews is a divine psychiatrist, a, psychi- a physician of the soul. That's Jesus, a physician of the soul. And several important truths about him, we learn that he is chosen from among us, from among men, it says, because he knows their troubles, he knows their temptations, so he can have compassion on the ignorant and on those who are out of the way, for that he himself also is compassed with infirmity, weakness. He has suffered, he has endured every temptation in the book that has ever come to you, and he has conquered the fear that has plagued you all of your life from the time that you were born until today, conquered it because he suffered the second death that is always the focal point of your fear. Thus, the Bible says, he himself hath suffered being tempted. He's able to succor. That word means help them that are tempted. The Bible specializes in ministering to some people who otherwise get very little help. The brokenhearted. Jesus said of them, blessed, that means happy, are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Not just those mourning a bereavement, but those whose hearts are heavily burdened, so they can't do what everybody else tells them to do, just buck up and smile. Jesus wants to give them some hope. You shall be comforted. You will be happy again. Let him do it. Give him some personal time. Don't expect drugs and medicine or vacations or new clothes or TV comedies or fun or even psychology to do it. Any superficial remedy only drives the wounds down deeper in our souls to to poison us all the more. But be honest, as Nehemiah was, you shall be comforted, says Jesus. And Jesus is the expert in the brokenness of the heart. The expert. No matter what your problem is, he knows, he understands, he sympathizes with you, and you can trust his goodness. But it doesn't mean that he sympathizes with the sin or that he excuses you for going on to commit it. Why? Because he knows the sin will kill you. That's why he hates it. It's the source of pain and sorrow and brokenness. If you were standing on the windowsill, way up high on a skyscraper, do you think that Jesus would say to you sweetly, 
I know how you are discouraged, so it's okay with me for you to jump. You think Jesus would give you such counsel? No. He would yell at you. He would say, hey, get back in here. Don't you dare do this. I know how you feel. For I, too, have been tempted to despair, but I overcame it for you. And I freely give you grace to overcome it, too. Why would he talk so strongly like that? Because he loves you. You will appreciate him more when you understand why he can't stand your continued sinning because this is the source of the problems. He's got a better life for you, much better. That same grace which has justified you is given to you to overcome every sin, every addiction. It's not merely offered to you provisionally if you do everything just right. It is given to you. Hebrews says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Suppose you're an alcoholic. The mercy gives you hope for forgiveness. Do you know that Jesus has already forgiven the alcoholic? And the grace assures you that you don't deserve it and that you can't save yourself. And did you know that that's the basic principle of the 12-step program? The help is deliverance from the addiction itself, not merely transforming it to other drugs or medicines. And the throne tells you that the true so-called higher power of the 12 steps is Jesus Christ, the Son of God himself. Alcoholism is more than a disease. It is sin against him and against his holy law that says thou shalt not kill. And the deliverance is from the root of all of these addictions, you know, We go to these addictions to try to quiet our nagging mind, our brokenheartedness, to to bring help. We're looking for these things to be our Savior. But the root of all of these masking devices is our self-indulgence, our own self-centeredness. The good news is this. The deliverance gives you the grace to say no to temptation every time it comes up. You overcome as also he overcame. You are never alone, for you are with him. His Holy Spirit gets to the root of your problem. Healing is from the inside out because it starts with the root of the problem, and that is love of yourself. Suppose you are addicted to drugs. While Christ was unspeakably in agony on the cross, there were some very kind people who thought they were doing him a favor by offering him a drug that would ease his pain. And he was terribly tempted to bite down on that saturated sponge just to get some temporary relief. But we are told in the Bible that he would not drink it. Matthew 27, 34. He chose to keep his mind clear so he could finish his work of becoming your Savior 
from addiction. He was tempted as you are, yet without sin. Now, you can never reduplicate what he did, but by his grace, you can keep your mind clear so you can appreciate what he did for you. If your mind is all fogged up, it becomes all the more difficult for you to appreciate the love which paid the price for your redemption. It was paid to you to reconcile your heart. Do you understand the value that was paid for you? The infinite life of the Son of God? Suppose the source of your brokenheartedness is your gambling addiction. You know, you can leave Nevada brokenhearted. Well, you don't have to leave Nevada. You can leave. It's right next door, isn't it? And this insidious habit eats the soul out like acid. But what you could not do, Scripture tells us in Romans chapter 8, verse 3, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. Now, if He condemned sin, it must mean that He outlawed it. He trampled it underfoot. He defeated it. And in Christ, you have freedom from this addiction of gambling. Use the hand of faith to grab the victory. Hang on to it. Don't make the vain promise, you know, which we're so tempted to make. I'm never going to gamble again. I lost too much last time. Because you cannot keep your own promises, but choose not to, and then ask your Savior to save you from it, and then thank Him for it. That's the ABCs of conquering this problem. Suppose the source of your brokenheartedness is your appetite. Same struggle, same victory. When Christ began his ministry, his first battle, wasn't it, was with appetite, and he won a total victory for us. Again, your victory has already been given you by grace, but you realize it through faith. Immerse yourself in the story of Christ's battle and his victory. Let your mind grasp what happened to him out in the wilderness. It's useless to pray to the Lord to take away temptation because food is everywhere. He couldn't answer your prayer unless God shut down all of the Safeways and all of the restaurants on the corner. But you can pray that his Holy Spirit may help you to grasp how grace is stronger than sin, thus your faith is going to grow in strength. You don't need to fall even once. You simply let the Lord hold you by the hand. All he must have is your permission. You know, basically, sin is the murder of the Son of God all over again. Those who refuse repentance crucify again for themselves the Son of God Hebrews 6, 6, and put him to an open shame. The healing medicine will burn like healing acid down to the toes, but it will cleanse away this love of self once we really see and appreciate his cross. It's a heavenly work, but this is what the high priest does as our divine psychiatrist. He cauterizes and he heals the wound The blessing is coming 
For he has promised to pour on us the spirit of grace and of supplication, and then they will look on me whom they have pierced, and in that day a fountain shall be opened for sin and for uncleanness. I have to believe that blessed fountain is appreciating the blood of Christ which cleanses us from all sin. That blood is worth more than billions. It's more worth more than gold. It is sinless blood. It is eternal blood. It's appreciating the blood. That kind of faith, that blood cleanses us from sin. So, don't try some kind of detour route around the cross okay, to heal the brokenness of your heart or to find a resolution to the sin problem in your life. Do not detour around the cross. So many do. They avoid it, and they go right back to self again. And in not detouring around the cross of Christ, heading straight for it, you will also be heading straight for straight toward God's law because in the cross is the law of God. Fall on your knees and let the tears flow freely. Let your soul be melted. Beg for Jesus to do his work because like a physician, a surgeon, he's not going to operate on you unless you give him full permission. You know, Jesus is too polite to do surgeon work on you the work of cleansing your heart unless you give him permission. You let him do it. You give him your consent for the necessary surgery to take place. But Jesus has never lost a patient. Worst of all, suppose that your brokenheartedness stems from a hard heart, selfishness, worldly professed Christian. You're lukewarm. You don't know how to get over it. It's like a drunken stupor. You want to wake up, but you're paralyzed. You know in your own heart that you're a disgrace to the Savior, like the self-sufficient scribes and Pharisees who crucified Him. You make people think that you're pious and you're religious, but you know it's a lie. And yes, your case is the most difficult one, for him to handle. Saving perverts and criminals and prostitutes is easier for Jesus than healing a lukewarm church that is deluded, thinking it is rich and increased with goods and has need of nothing. Jesus said that harlots enter the kingdom before you in Matthew 21, verse 31. But there's hope. He commands us in Revelation 3.19, be zealous, therefore, and repent. It's useless to think we repent when we try to confess the few little sins that we can add up in a list. Real repentance includes the sin we didn't realize was in our hearts. Deep down, we are no better than anyone else. And that stabs us awake, but it's true. Because 
We have no righteousness of our own. That's why it's called righteousness by faith, period. And the righteousness is that of Christ. Therefore, the sin of somebody else would be our sin, but for the grace of Christ. The entire human race would be in ruin if Jesus had not saved us, and you and I are part of the human race. And if the sin of the whole world was Adam's, then it's our sin. And when we confess that, then we're ready to repent. Remember, the greater we recognize the sin to be, the greater the joy of realizing our forgiveness from it. The Savior is the lover of your soul. He has his hand on you just right now. Will you let him lead you all of the way? Will you welcome him into your life? Will you welcome him into your heart? There's a classic picture of Jesus standing at the cottage door knocking, but there is no door handle on the outside of that door. It's in the inside where you are. So Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart, and it's time for you to open your heart to the Lord so he can heal you of your brokenheartedness. Dear Father in heaven, you've died for every one of us messed up souls here in this room. All of us are wrecks, train wrecks. We don't know how to come in here and how to go out. And all we can do is cast ourselves at your mercy and at your grace. It's your favor that is given to sinners. Help us to appreciate that grace, that favor. The cross, the gift of Jesus given to each soul. The purchase that was purchased by the infinite life of the Son of God. The value of the payment, the redemption price was not paid to the devil it was not paid to some outside entity in this, some universal transaction. The payment was not made even so much to the Father, but it was given to us. You are redeemed with a price. You are bought with a price, with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And if you can appreciate the redemption price, that's true faith. Amen. Join us again next time for the Word of God which will feed the soul. I am committed to bring you the fullness of the gospel as Jesus has revealed it to us in order to prepare a people for his soon coming.